Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Key Reese, And I'm Laura Brodnick. Oh, and LB, I've got to start the episode off with an apology because... Well, I hope it's to me, you know. <laughs> well, it's to everyone because I apparently can't do basic math and yesterday I misquoted the dollar amount that Reese Witherspoon sold her production company Hello Sunshine for. So it was 900 million US dollars, which is the equivalent of 1.2 billion Australian dollars. So just wanted to clear that up. I know I did it wrong. I'm fixing it and we're done. Look, it's not your fault. Mistakes happen. And like you said, we go to such lengths to make sure that all the little details, we don't just say, this is celeb goss, we can say whatever we want. We're factually correct, that's our thing. I think that's something to be really mindful of. And also, because I'm dyslexic numerically, I would not have picked that up at all. So I wasn't going to help you. You were very much on your own. But it's okay. I'm sure Reese with a spoon would understand. I feel like I did do her a bit dirty with the 1.2 million, but I have cleared it up. She is a billionaire, if she wasn't already. Well, today, Jason Marmoa has given an interview to the New York Times magazine, and one question in particular has stirred up a little bit of controversy. We are going to get into it and hint, we have differing opinions on this one. But before we do that, we of course have the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. Kicking it off with um, a bit of sleuth detective work. Where in the world is Natalie Portman? (laughs) So the Oscar-winning actress, who was due to start filming her third movie in Australia, which is called Days of Abandonment, has stepped down the day before shooting was to begin in Sydney. So according to HBO, who commissioned the movie, Natalie was forced to pull out of the production which was actually also executive producing due to, quote, unforeseen personal circumstances. As a result, HBO confirmed the movie, which was expected to generate more than 25 million. Yes, I got that dollar (laughs) amount right. For the New South Wales economy, it's actually not going to move forward. So they've said, we're really sorry. We won't be able to bring this beautiful story to the screen with our talented writer, director and cast. So the now-cancelled movie that was set to also star Rafe Spall and Mary Louise Parker had only been announced less than a week ago by the federal government as the latest international production to move to Australia as part of the Location Incentive Program, which also had support from the New South Wales government made a New South Wales fund, like many of the other international productions that have kind of fueled that influx of A-list celebrities and kept the Daily Mail salvating. And it is a little bit disappointing because it had been set to create an estimated 200 plus jobs for casting crew, 500 extras roles and would have used 400 businesses while filming in Sydney and regional New South Wales. But no surprises here. We're in the thick of it here in Sydney, but still questions around where exactly Natalie Portman is and maybe a bit more detail. We hope nothing bad has happened. 
Yeah, exactly. That's the crux of the situation, isn't it? Is that unforeseen personal circumstances could mean something quite bad, but it could be a range of things. Like it is all very mysterious. And also people were saying like, because it was meant to start filming at Fox Studios in Sydney. And so it all happened very suddenly being shut down. And she's kind of been this really prominent fixture around Sydney with all these other A-list celebs that you're talking about. They've kind of been pictured together on these big group outings. And at one stage, they were all even questioned by the police for going on a boat during lockdown like all eyes have been on them and now she hasn't been spotted which I guess is fair enough because maybe she's laying low in lockdown but also people were saying that a lot of the Instagram photos from her account have like been deleted so something's happening there. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I feel like Australia has been a bit of a safe haven in the way of COVID and obviously for production companies with, you know, those big movie sets, it's very hard to keep them going. We always have reports of big sets being shut down and due to COVID cases. So Australia has been this bit of a haven, but it's almost a flip side. Like as soon as, you know, we have an outbreak here, we're not desired anymore. We're like thrown out like rubbish. (laughs) bit sad, really. But what's interesting is that the movie's been – called off is what I'm kind of reading from that statement like it's a hundred oh it's not, not going, going ahead. ahead at all yeah exactly and if it was just them saying we can't film here because of COVID like shooting sets and schedules get moved around all the time so it could have been put indefinitely on hold or moved to a different location or they could have waited for lockdown and it's a big thing to completely call off an entire production the day before it's set to start shooting I mean you'd have to cash in your insurance for that which would be a huge yeah, amount and would have kind of fallout across multiple different kind of factors of the studio. So it's just the circumstances are very strange. Either something terrible has happened, which is awful to think of, or something completely scandalous has happened because big movies like that with that kind of a budget and that kind of a star presence attached to it don't get called off the day before shooting. Well, in the wise words of Kris Jenner, this is a case for the FBI. So I was scrolling through my Twitter account yesterday and normally I'm just looking for doom news about COVID and how long we're going to be locked up for and the world ending. That's basically what I use Twitter for. But then I came across a tweet that literally made me laugh out loud, which is a very rare thing these days, let me tell you. So it was Darren Hayes, as everyone would know, as one of the frontmen for Savage Garden. And he revealed that he had turned down really big bucks, like a huge amount of money, to re-record a Savage Garden song for a TV commercial. So the song in question was Truly Madly Deeply, which was Savage Garden's hit 1997 song. So it was a huge hit for the band for Darren Hayes and his bandmate Daniel Jones. It went to number one on the Billboard Hot Singles charts in the US. It was actually the first song in the charts history to spend 52 weeks inside the top 30. And in Australia, it won the ARIA Award for Single of the Year. So Kiris, take it away. For anyone who doesn't know the song, how does it go? I'll be your dream, I'll be your wish I'll be your fantasy I'll be your hope I'll be your love be everything that you need I love you more with every breath truly madly deeply do Ooh, I want to stand with you on a mountain. I want to bathe with you in the sea. I want to lay like this forever until the sky falls down on me. Oh, my God. That was a lot. I thought you were just going to do one line. Oh, my God. Sorry. I had to do The start is iconic. And then I had to get to the chorus. It's so good. No, it's so good. 
on this podcast because Key like left her body just then. She closed her eyes. She had her hands up in the air. I just you got to wow. get the emotion through. It's a, such a good song. They're from Brisbane. It's I'm not going to do them song. dirty. If I'm going to sing no, no, for my fellow Brisbaners, I'm going to get it up there. That's the best thing that's happened to me in months. Can I just tell You're you? Very and welcome. Darren Hayes could never with that level of emotion. I don't even know how to go on. So keep that song in your mind as we read the lyrics are about to come up. So Darren Hayes posted on Twitter, if you knew how much money I turned down and how hard I fight to protect your high school memories. And then he went on to say that a company had pitched him a remix of that song to promote their goods, which is food. And he shared the proposed lyrics that they sent through to him for reworking the song for their commercial. So there's a verse and a chorus. And it goes, I'll bring you Greek, I'll bring you French, I'll bring you Japanese. I'll bring you Thai, steak from the pub, bring all the foods that you need. Close your door with every step. I'm outside holding your food. It will be warm, it will be tasty, because I'm counting on a real good rating. There's a reason I'm bringing you deep fried chicken. This is making me really hungry, actually. It's quite a good ad. <laughs> I know. And I was then like, the chorus is, I want to stand with you on Food Mountain. I want to float with Ew. you on some cheese. That sounds like the creepy dates they do on The Bachelor where they dip them in chocolate. Yeah. And then it's insert brand name. I'm going to say Uber Eats, maybe. Like this forever. Until more fries rain down on me. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty catchy. But also, like, Darren Hayes, honey, we have the memory. Secure that bag. Get that payment, honey. Get that money, honey. (laughs) So you want him to give away his life's work, his biggest song. Sell it out. Sell it out. So we can all be singing So Some Fries Rain Down On Me. He could donate some of it and feel good about it, you know. Yeah, that's true. Well, look. Darren Hayes, if you're listening, if you do find yourself in a tough spot there and you do want everyone to be singing, I want to float with you in some cheese until more fries rain down on me, we would be okay with that. And Key Reese is available for vocals. Always. And remember, Queenslander. Jason Momoa has given a new interview to the New York Times magazine and it's making headlines thanks to a particularly controversial question that he took a lot of issue with. The article is entitled, Jason Momoa is bummed about Hollywood's attitude toward action movies. And the interview, which was conducted by David Marquez, who's a journalist at the publication, was released as a transcript. So it starts off all kind of like, I mean, obviously it's not audio, we're reading it, so we don't know exactly what the tone was, but reading the transcript script it starts off quite friendly it seems like they're really gelling they're having a really intense discussion about the attitude that big directors and academy award winners have towards action movies and jason's saying that he's really proud of aquaman which he's the star of because he thinks there's a really important message to be told until it comes to a question about game of thrones which jason starred in the first season of so david the interviewer says I don't know how much you followed of this, but Game of Thrones inspired a lot of discussion around its depiction of scenes of sexual assault and its treatment of women generally. Do you think today about those scenes? Would you do one now? Do you have any regrets? Those types of scenes can seem as if they belong to an older cultural moment. So he's talking about a scene in the first season of Game of Thrones where Jason's character, Carl Drogo, rapes Amelia Clarke's character, Daenerys. It's on their wedding night and it's a non-consensual sex scene it's very graphic and it was quite upsetting at the time to watch and a lot of kind of conversation around that has been that it was altered from the books so in the books that particular scene with that amount of force didn't happen it was specifically created for the tv show and 
Jason answers, well, it was important to depict Drogo and his style. You're playing someone like Genghis Khan. It was really, really, really hard thing to do. But my job was to play someone like that, and it's not a nice thing. And it's not what the character was like. It's not my job to go, would I not do it? I've never been questioned about, do you regret playing a role? We'll put it this way. I already did it. I'm not doing it again. And then the interview takes a turn. Now, obviously, we're reading it, so there could be some inflection we're missing. Early in the interview, Jason had said that he had a whole vision for the character of what Aquaman was going to be like. The interviewer says, can you explain that vision to me? And he just says, no. They then talk about the fact that he was in a Baywatch spinoff and that he has said previously he has amazing memories of that time. The interviewer says, like, can you share those memories? Do you have a story to tell us? And he's like, no, nothing to share with you. And so the interview really takes a turn for the rest of the time. And then the interviewer says, okay, we're done. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And this is the part that a lot of people are really kind of hinging their opinions on. Yeah, and I wanted to bring something up that left a bad feeling in my stomach. When you brought up Game of Thrones, you brought up stuff about what's happening with my character and would I do it again. I was bummed when you asked me that. It just feels icky, putting it on me to remove something. As if an actor ever had a choice to do that. We're not really allowed to do anything. There are producers, there are writers, there are directors, and you don't get to come in and be like, I'm not going to do that because this isn't kosher right now and it's not right in the political climate. That never happens. So it's a question that feels icky and I just wanted you to know that. So obviously kind of something important to remember here is that when he got that role in Game of Thrones, he wasn't really finding a lot of success as an actor. He's talked before about the fact that a lot of studios liked him, but no one knew where to kind of place him as an actor because of kind of his size and presence and all that sort of stuff. And so he was very financially strapped when he took on that role. And it was a complete game changer for his career as a bit of context of why people are getting so upset about that. And now key, everyone's saying, should the journalist ever have asked that question in the first place I honestly don't think so like I think that he took a role at a time when he needed money and it was relevant to the story now I know it wasn't in the book and people do have feelings about the fact that it did veer away from what was actually written but it was a creative decision that was made by the writers and the producers of the series to do and I think like we always kind of praise people for playing against type on screen, you know, like Joshua Jackson playing Dr. Death and, you know, giving them praise for depicting that. Like, and I understand this was a scene that depicted rape, which is obviously a seriously bad thing. But if the producers thought that it needed to be in the story to further the storyline, then I think that that's a fair decision. And I don't really think it's on him. I just kind of feel like it's a shitty question. And of course, he's going to get his back up against it because he's a really nice guy. I'm just putting myself in his shoes where I can kind of feel that it is a bit of a dick question because it makes him feel like he's done something wrong when all he did was do a role that put food on his table because he's spoken about that time in his life. Like during gaps in filming for Game of Thrones, he couldn't even afford to buy a plane ticket back to his family. They were filming an island. They couldn't even afford to go back and see his wife, Lisa Benet, and their two kids together. So I think that it's a bit of a shitty question. And I just don't know if it really needed to be in the interview. But I know that you have a different thought on this. So 
It's Kiki versus Loznik. <laughs> the new Game of Thrones no one asked for. No, I thought it was a completely fair question to ask. Okay. And you tend to sometimes veer to the side of the person that you can kind of see yourself in that position. So obviously a big part of my job when I'm not doing this podcast is interviewing actors about their movies and TV shows. And sometimes there are just questions that it's really important to ask because you're always thinking once this goes to print or it's online or wherever it's going, once this publication is out there, there are there questions that the reader is going to be wishing that you'd ask and as a reader that's a question I'd like to kind of have an answer from him about and also I think it's important to look at the wording of the question maybe he took it a bit differently and I think his answer was to a different question like he the interviewer didn't say do you wish that I mean he did say do you regret it but he didn't say do you wish you'd stop the scene do you wish you'd done that he said looking back on this today with the conversations that have taken place since what do you think now and I think it's a fair question to ask he's doing an overall interview with this person about his body of work and his thoughts on the industry and I think asking him about something that's been a huge cultural conversation that other people on like Amelia Clark's talked about it and she was like yeah in some cases I wish I'd done things differently but I was a really young actress and I didn't think to say like please don't show my boobs for no reason or please give me like covering in the scene or please don't show this and I think if everyone else who's worked on the show has commented on it it's also fair to ask you for that comment as well. But I also think like this stuff does, I mean, I know Game of Thrones isn't real life, but yeah. you know, if we're seeing things on screen, like stuff like that does happen. Like I don't understand why we're like, like I don't remember the scene. Like I know it happened and I definitely watched it. Was it particularly like gruesome? Like, or was it just the fact that there was a rape scene. Uh, no, it was pretty visually hard to watch. Like she's crying. And also it happens multiple times. There's not one scene. There's a couple of scenes of rape and he's like holding her down and she's crying. Yeah. Well, my thing is, it's like Game of Thrones is savage. And especially in those first few seasons, like it was quite shocking because they really were making television completely different from how we'd ever seen it before it. And I'm not like pro rape scenes at all. I understand his frustration because obviously he feels a certain way about it and he doesn't want to talk about it. So that leads me to think that maybe he does kind of feel bad about it and have regrets over doing it. But also kind of thinking forward to future work, like do you want to speak against the creators and producers of a big show at a big network when you could potentially have some earning power with them down the track? Like maybe it's also a strategic move, like I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me that could feed me again later down the track. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is he and Amelia Clark have both given interviews since them about how they didn't agree with what was happening behind the scenes and she said that he was the one who made the rules like as soon as we finish filming she has to be covered up and made rules like if you don't need to be on set for these scenes or where she's naked then you have to leave the set like she's always said that he was the one that said to her like you can make changes here and he demanded it so I think also there's that thread of people have always thought okay he was aware of like how she might have been exploited a little bit behind the scenes or he was kind of the older person that scene, so he really helped her out. And so I definitely think there's a story thread there to pick up on. But if you can't ask someone a question about one of the biggest projects of their career, then, you know, it's really censoring what journalists can ask these actors who are the ones 
like he's the one to ask about that. If you're going to have a conversation about how the depiction of rape has changed over time, how even like 10 years ago, whatever it was when Game of Thrones came out, how we talk about those scenes then. Because at the time, like people thought it was upsetting, but not to the extent they do now. So that's a kind of interesting question. And he could have just said, you know, like, yeah, I came on the set and I did the scene and that's what actors do. And I know there's been a lot of questions around it lately. And I think it's good that we're always questioning what we're seeing on screen. But, you know, as an actor, that's not my job. And I think that would have been fine but I think because he's taken such issue with it which is again he's allowed to do but you can't censor what we're asking and again this is a bit of a personal issue for me because I'm finding more and more now that whenever I sit down to interview talent like obviously they always say no personal questions about their family and I think that's fair enough like a lot of other interviewers get really angry about that but I always think like we're here to talk about your movie I'm not going to talk to you about some scandalous tabloid headlines that's a fair exchange of information for what we're both doing here in our jobs but if you put then the censor on of you can't ask about a project I think it was like a fair question to ask. But I feel like it was like 10 years ago. And if we think about his, what you said before earlier about the types of characters he would play, before he got his big break, it was like no one really knew where to put him. And I feel confident enough to make the assumption that because of his size and the way he looks, he was definitely typecast in a certain role. And and that's probably most in line with that Drogo kind of role. And I feel like he's probably worked really hard to, you know, get his break as Aquaman and really kind of reinvigorate his image of being, you know, wholesome and redefining what it means to be like a wholesome leading man. So maybe it's also that that's underlying. Like, I feel like he's a really nice guy. And if someone's upset Jason Momoa, I'm really going to go in hard and bat for him. Okay? Oh, I think he's a wonderful guy. And this is why this interview has picked up the steam that it has and why it's making headlines is that we don't really see that angry side of him. Like, he is just a ball. Did you meet him when he came to Sydney? Or did I not invite you to that premiere? You are we so mean to me. <laughs> that was so mean. <laughs> I just can't remember the timeline. I, maybe we weren't even doing the podcast then. Anyway, when he was Whatever. in Sydney for Aquaman, like I'm, he came and met all the people at the premiere and he was just this infectious ball of lovely energy and he had pigtails on and a pink suit and he was bouncing around the theatre. Well, we're probably going to agree to disagree because I also feel like he's on the promotional tour for Aquaman. He doesn't want rape to be associated with it. Anyway, we're going to have to agree to disagree. <laughs> the episode is now over. We will link the full profile piece so you can make up your mind in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. And if you're Team Laura or Team Key today, you can probably let us know. And you can do that by hopping into the Facebook group. Just search for The Spill on Facebook and come and join us. We know that I'm going to win. This episode of The Spill was produced by Laura Brodnick and Madeline Joanno with audio production by Leah Borges. I'm getting evil lines from Laura Brodnick right now. We will see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.